Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we continue our series on the book of Revelation as we look at the church at Philadelphia. We're in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And our title for the message today is True Believers Obey Jesus. True believers obey Jesus. Now, true believers, everyone would like to think that they are a true believer. Me, myself included, but how awful would it be to reach the end of your life and me to reach the end of my life only to find out that we not we are we're not who we thought we were. In today's culture, it's more important than ever to be sure of your status with God. You see, Jesus instructs us today in his letter to the church at Philadelphia that true believers obey Jesus in three specific ways. And so let's dive in and discover what those ways are. And I think the first thing is we need to make sure that we don't have a mistaken identity. We don't want people to mistake that we are a Christian if we're not, and we don't want people to mistake that we're not a Christian if we are. For example, in 2014, police officers responded to a zoo in Spain where they were alerted about the presence of a gorilla outside of the cage. And so they went to this zoo, and the police sent a veterinarian to go help assist with it. So the veterinarian did what any veterinarian would do. that They saw the gorilla outside of the cage, so the veteran got his tranquilizer dart gun and shot the gorilla. And then so, of course, the gorilla went to sleep until they found out that they could take the mask off of the gorilla, and it was actually a zoo worker. They had been practicing a gorilla, gorilla escape routine. So they were actually trying to figure out what to do in case a gorilla escaped. So this poor guy, dressed up in a gorilla suit, got shot with a tranquilizer gun. Now, the thing is, is that they mistook the gorilla to be a real gorilla. Now, the moral of the story is some days we feel like the veterinarian. And then some days we feel like the guy in the gorilla suit, don't we? Some days we feel like that we have, we are on it, we know our job, and then there are other days where we think, how in the world did I get into this mess? So, the thing is, is that as we look at the church at Philadelphia, I've got a, a picture I'm going to show you on the screen here. This is if you go Google the church at Philadelphia, not the one in the United States, but the one in Turkey. This is what you will see. And as a matter of fact, if you look at a map and you look at the 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 area that Turkey is today, you can see the locations of all seven of these churches that were written to. This is actually what you would find today. This is a real church that existed. This is a real letter to people that had real problems. So with you being real and me being real and this church being real, we can identify some things from this. Philadelphia is not the state that sits on the country's eastern border. That state was actually named from this city which the term Philadelphia, who knows what Philadelphia means? The city of what? Brotherly love. There you go, brotherly love. Philadelphia is located in Turkey, and today it is named Al-Asahir, best way I can pronounce that, but it is there. And you can still go and see the remnants of the seven churches still today. Well, Philadelphia was a city planted 
for one specific reason. It was, it was planted as a evangelism outpost. And when I say evangelism, I don't mean gospel evangelism. There was a main road running from the east-west corridor of Turkey. And so what they would do is they planted this city and they were going to take their most prominent Greek scholars, their most prominent entertainers, their most prominent teachers, and all of these people that were so influential in Greek culture, put them in the middle of this area and get them to evangelize or send out the message of what it means to be Greek and teach these people what it meant to be Greek so that they would become who? Yeah, come on. Help me out. Follow along with me here. You say, preacher, I just want to preach. I don't want to talk today. That, that's fine. All right. This one make sure you're with me. But the thing is, is that I want you to understand the term evangelism or evangelist is actually one that means somebody that is like a town crier, someone that is sharing the good news. Some of you that have some age on you will remember back in the day or saw movies where the, the boy would be on the street corner saying, get your newspaper, get your newspaper. Or maybe you've been to a ball game and where they say, get your hot dogs here. And all the people crying out, trying to get your attention to say, look at this. Nowadays, especially in the tech community, they call people that, you know, if they are promoting an Apple product or an Android product or uh, some other type of product, they, they don't call them salesmen anymore. They call them evangelists. No lie. They call them evangelists because they are spreading the news of their platform or their next new thing that they have. But Philadelphia was planted there for a purpose, to make people Greek. And it was very prosperous. It was much like south of the border on I-95. You ever been to south of the border? I know you've seen the 50 million signs that lead up to it. But is that a tourist trap? Absolutely. But the truth of the matter is, is you could not go through this thoroughfare. You could not go down this road without running into Philadelphia. So this sets the stage for the passage this morning. We see that true believers... Tell others about Jesus. That's the first of the three premises. True believers tell others about Jesus. This is not a foreign concept. Let's face it. We all love to talk about those things we love. We all love to talk about those people that we love. We talk about those things that mean something to us. We talk about things that we feel like others need to hear and that that they include us in, right? Does this world really need more talk today, though, about religion and politics and celebrities? No. Notice I said religion, not Christianity. We don't need more religion. We don't need more high and mighty ideas of what this ought to be and what that. We need the gospel. We need the words of Jesus Christ. We need the life of Jesus Christ. And we need the saving power of Jesus Christ. We need to talk about Jesus Christ More than we talk about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We need to talk about Jesus Christ more than we talk about the so-called King LeBron James. We need to talk about people. There is nothing wrong with those people in of themselves. But at the end of the day, a politician will not save us. An athlete will not save us. A scholar will not save us. A scientist will not save us. Only Jesus Christ will save us as individuals and save this world. We as a church need to get back on that. And Philadelphia knew this. It says in verse 7, 
write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Again, for those of you that have heard some of these messages, the angel basically means the messenger, the preacher, the one in charge of the church at Philadelphia. He says this message from the one who is holy and true. So Jesus is introducing himself as the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David that opens what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. So here we see again, Jesus introduces himself as the one and only true authority. Folks, many today are under the wrong impression that they are the authority for everyone. In other words, every woke, religious, self-righteous, virtue-signaling, race-baiting, hashtagging, Facebook-posting, keyboard warrior thinks that their way of thinking is the way that everybody should think and the way everybody should believe. But I've got news for you. The only authority that we have according to God's Word is God Himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he introduces himself, Jesus, the one who is holy. What does the one who is holy means? The word holy means to be set apart, to be used by God. So he says, look, I am the holy one, set apart. I am pure, ready for worship. And Jesus did not come to do your will on earth. Jesus is not about pleasing you. Jesus didn't even come to do his own work. As a matter of fact, if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he tell his dad? He said, Dad, please, Daddy, I don't want to do this. If it is at all possible, take this cup away from me of suffering. Then he says, never mind. Not my will, but thy will be done. God is the authority, even for Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is holy. And if you are listening to this message today and are responsible for raising children, just wait. It will come back to you in full force when your children get older. If you do not decide to model holy, godly examples in front of your children, it will come back. I tell people all the time, now, we don't have children. We have just been around a lot of children all of our lives, especially teenagers. So you can tell me later that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know this. Your children are human uh, cameras right now. They are recording everything that you do. And then when they become teenagers, they go into playback mode and they are going to give you everything plus in spades what they recorded up to that point. Do you want them to have a holy, righteous upbringing or do you want them to have a life that is separated from God and his church and his people? There are no amount of merit badges good report cards and trophies that will matter in the pursuit of holiness if you have not set God in their hearts. Imagine a world that would surrender to the authority of Jesus. It may not happen today, but maybe it will one day. So we see Jesus is holy and we see Jesus is true. There are two Greek words used for truth in the New Testament. One of them means that something is true as opposed to being false. But then you've got this true. When it says, I am holy and true, he is saying that by being true, I am the real deal. I am the true one. I am not the fake. I am the true one. So he is holy and he is true. That makes him the authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was playing football in high school, and you'd see a group of guys, and and you'd say, like, look, they're 
there's some guys over there and didn't think much about them until they take their jacket off and you see they got the, the, the black and the white stripe shirt on. Then you realize, oh, okay, those are the referees or the umpires, whatever sport you're doing. And I know this. I know some guys that have done that and they're trained and they will tell you, look, that when I walk on that field, that's my field. You may not agree with every call that I make, but it's my call. And if you don't like it, you can get off my field. They are the authority. And my friends, Jesus Christ is the authority. God's word is the authority. And you can either lean into that or you can fight against it. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'd rather lean in with God than fight against him. Because he always wins, doesn't he? He always wins. So Jesus, it says here, opened the door for evangelism. Remember, he is the authority. He is the Holy One. He is sovereign. Jesus is the authority. It says, look at verse 7. He is the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. This is actually a quote Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 22. This is Jesus' door to open. When he talks about opening a door, let me tell you what that means. It means that you can see in several places in the Bible that the term open door means that he is opening the way for people to hear about him. He's opening the door of evangelism. In other words, he's giving you and I an opportunity to share our faith. And the thing is, so many people, especially sitting in pews, they're thinking, that's what we pay the preacher for. He can do the evangelism. He can go through the door. He can do the door-to-door witnessing. Look, I, look, I understand. I will fully, uh, I will fully admit and take to the fact that I need to be an example and a leader in what it means to evangelize. And I take that very seriously. But there is nowhere in scripture where it says any believer is exempt from sharing their story about Jesus Christ. We are all missionaries. We are all preachers. We are all representatives of what God has done in our life and what Jesus means to us. So, we see that. That true believers will talk about Jesus. The second thing that we see is that true believers will rely on God. True believers will rely on God. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, I know all the things you do. He says that to all the churches, doesn't he? That's kind of... That's kind of, when I read that, sometimes I read right over and think, when you really think about that, that's kind of scary. When you're praying to God, tell him, God, I know you know everything that I do. And everything means what? Everything. (laughs) I mean, there's no, there's no around that. But he says, I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. This is looking good for Philadelphia. And it says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Look, I want you to understand something. You feel like, if you feel like, that you're doing the best you can and nobody notices, Jesus notices. Jesus notices your works. He knows the good things that you do. He says that in the case of all seven churches. But in Philadelphia's case, this was a good thing because they were doing the work that he asked them to do. The only one of the seven that did that. 
And many times God's opened the door, he'll open the door for us to share the gospel of Jesus. But we are so consumed with ourselves or the fear of rejection that we miss it. And he tells the church here to look for the doors he has opened. Folks, Jesus has opened the door and given you his strength to rely on. There is not a person in here in this sanctuary that God cannot use to give a testimony about him. There is not a person that may be watching on Facebook Live or may be watching this later or hearing this later on our, our sermon cast that God can use you right where you are. Ask yourself, if, if God has truly opened a door for you to talk about him to others, where do you start? Well, you start by asking yourself, God, who have you surrounded me by? And if you don't know somebody is a Christian, why don't you just ask them, hey, man, our preacher was talking, or I was looking at the Bible, and I was thinking, you know, I'm a Christian. I was just wondering, have you, have you become a Christian? That's not confrontational, is it? It's conversational. Yes, God has gifted some to be an evangelist, but every believer is commissioned to share the gospel. Uh, David Goodzik, who is the pastor at Calvary Chapel, said it this way. The best way you can witness to, to your friends is not in some kind of great, grand, hit them over the head with a Bible kind of thing. It may be simple questions. It may be a simple question to talking to one of your non-Christian friends like a Christian. What does that mean? When you have somebody you're unsure of their salvation, ask them if you can share what you read in your Bible that day and ask them their opinion on it. Ask them to pray with you about something. Share with them how God has given you strength on something. Does any of that sound preachy? No. Or maybe say, hey, I was reading this the other day, and they may be as lost as the ball in tall weeds, but you can give them that scripture and say, hey, what does this mean to you? Plant the seed. Live the difference. And so that way you are whetting their appetite. So hopefully when they see the way you live your life and the strength that you have and the hope that you have, again, you're not perfect. I am not perfect. We all have issues. But when they see the strength within you, they're going to want some of that. And that's how you can share Jesus with people. The trick is we have to be authentic. I've told people before that are around me, uh, I'll tell them, look, I'm a preacher, but I am human. I have a filter that leaves sometimes. I have issues just like everybody else. And when I do something and I mess up, I have to ask for forgiveness just like everybody else. So when you see me, you're not going to see some holier-than-thou guy that's got it all together because I don't, but I know where to get it. And that is right in God's Word. And that is right through prayer. And that is right through the Holy Spirit. Don't be the type of person where someone wonders what person you are at that moment. Maybe one day you're the holier-than-thou person. Maybe you're the good friend. Maybe you're the drinking buddy. Maybe you're the gossip, the crude talker, the selfish person, the materialistic person. How about just trying this, being real to your friends and those around you? And if you don't have everything figured out, tell them. And if you're searching for something, tell them. And if you're praying for something, tell them. And if God is doing a work in your life, then please, by all means, tell them. It says in verse 8, you have God's strength. He says, you have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and you did not deny me. My friends, you would think that when he says you have little strength, that that would be a slap in the face. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, 
I have come to God with what little bit of strength I have. And the strength that I muster up, God uses in an amazing way. Look, if you're full of yourself and your own strength, you don't have room for God to work. But if you come to him empty and broken and with little strength, he will be your strength. I would rather fight every battle that I go against in Jesus' strength rather than my own. And I know you do too. Not only do we have God's strength, God has our backs. God has our backs. Look at verse 9. I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say that they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. When it says... Those liars who say they are not Jews, there were Jews in the synagogue that were persecuting Christians. However, they were Jewish, but they were only Jewish in namesake. They, they may have had the Jewish blood in them, but they were not Jewish believers, those that believed in God. You cannot claim to be godly and treat others poorly, and that's what they were doing. Jesus is not judging all Jewish people in this, in this passage here, just the ones that are behaving badly. He was targeting a specific group. And Jesus says that he will force those who are persecuting the Christians in Philly, know what it says, to bow down and acknowledge the truth that the Christians already know. In other words, he's telling this church in Philadelphia, I know you are weak. I know you're doing the best that you can. Do the best you can and watch me show off, is what he is saying. Boy, that gives me chill bumps when I think about that. Some of you think, well, I'm doing the best I can to work. I'm doing the best I can to do what I do at church. I'm doing the best I can to be a husband or a wife or a mother, father, grandfather, and all these other titles you have in between. I'm doing the best I can in my work. Stop doing the best that you can and putting it all on you. And start saying, I'm going to do what I can and let Jesus do the rest. That's what he's telling Philadelphia. And that is what he's telling us today. My friend, I am getting sick of watching the news and seeing social media feeds of all these people that think that they are God. That think that they can redefine what God has said and speak for God and correct God where he got things wrong. My friend, it says Perfectly here, the one day every knee will bow down to him. Every talking head on that TV, every Facebook keyboard warrior will bow down. And every one of you in here and myself will have to bow down before God. Paul put it best in Romans 14, 11. He says, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. God will either build you now or he will break you one day. That's what that says. And the third thing that we see is that true believers are faithful to Jesus. True believers are faithful to Jesus. What does that mean? Verse 10 says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you. I will protect you from a great time of testing that will come upon you. Some translations say from an hour, okay? Some great times of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. 
underline that or just make a note of that so that no one will take away your crown. We're going to go back and visit that in just one second. He says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing or the great hour of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. What in the world is he saying? Well, first of all, when he says this, we see that obeying Jesus now, obeying Jesus now will protect your future. No one can argue with this. If you make good choices, most of the time you're going to have good consequences. You make bad choices, you're going to have bad consequences. But if you choose to obey and live for Jesus now, you are promised good consequences for eternity. And also, if you obey Jesus today, you know where that puts you? Somewhere where people, I talk to people all the time, oh, I want to find God's will for my life. I hope to find God's will. I'm praying for God's will. My friend, God's will is every day, every decision, living according to his word or acting opposed to it. That is God's will. It is not some destination you hope to get at. It is to be faithful in the things you are in, in the day-to-day, minute-by-minute decisions that you have. Obeying Jesus and his word today not only puts you in the middle of God's will for your life, but it promises you that he will protect you from this hour of testing. Now, the thing is, by the hour, Jesus doesn't mean that there's going to become a trial or a test that's only going to last one hour. When he says an hour of testing, it is a a time of testing. And most scholars agree that what he's talking about here is the great tribulation to where when the Bible says that all those that love Jesus Christ will be raptured and taken away, and then there will be a time of tribulation, a time of testing for those that are left behind. That is what he is alluding to here. And the lost will go through a great tribulation. As you look in verse 10, look again at verse 10. It says, those who belong to the world, those who belong to the world. King James Version says, them that dwell upon the earth. What he's saying there is those people who are lost and left behind. That is what verse 10 means. Those people that who rejected Jesus Christ and that are lost and left behind, they will be tested. They are not saved. So to read it properly, it means the great tribulation is coming for those who don't know Jesus. Those who are Christians will be dwelling in heaven. And here is the promise that the Christians will not go through the tribulation. Now, there there are books upon books and websites upon websites and people that are probably a lot smarter than me that can give you all kinds of different opinions on this section of passage of Scripture. But I'm going to tell you what. Jesus says he is coming soon and he says to be faithful. And he says that if you trust Jesus now, you will not have to go through the great tribulation. That is what this passage says. He says in verse 11, I am coming soon. We know that when Jesus says, I am coming soon, soon doesn't mean like in the next five minutes. Some of you are trying to wonder where you're going to eat or if you're just going to go home and have a hot pocket. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that he says, I'm coming soon. <clears throat> that means I'm coming suddenly. I am going to be here on you like white on rice, and you're not even going to see me coming. Kind of like a good linebacker. I'm sorry, it's football season. I'm, everything's football for me right now. But I'm telling you what. He says in verse 11, Jesus is coming, so be faithful. I am coming soon. Suddenly, hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. So he's saying, hold on to the faith you got. He's saying, look, you may not have a whole lot of faith. You may not have a whole lot of strength, but hold on to what you got. Because you don't want someone to come in and take your crown. Now, the crown that he's talking about is not a kingly crown. It is not a government crown. It is a crown, if you remember back, especially in those times when they had athletic competitions, instead of having the, the Olympic medal with the three stands, the one, the gold in the middle and the silver and the bronze, they would actually have these like crowns made of I don't know, branches, y'all might know the exact thing they're made of. But anyway, they would crown the winner of the of the athletic competition. So what he's saying here is that he is saying, look, make sure with whatever you got and whatever you're doing, do the best you can to win the race that you are running. Don't let somebody outpractice you. Don't let somebody outrun you. Don't let somebody put in more work than you. When you get to the end of your life, you say to God, look, I honestly did the best I could. So if you're here today and you're not doing the best you could, step it up. And if you are doing the best you could, rest in that. That's what he's saying. Then he talks about the pillars that are inscribed with God's name. I don't know if you know this, but Philadelphia was known for its earthquakes. Matter of fact, a hundred years before this was written, they had a terrible earthquake. And I, I've never been in a real earthquake. I've been in, I guess, what you would call some tremors. Have you all ever been in tremors where like, the whole building shakes, and you're kind of like, man, what was that going on? I remember it happened in college when I was in Charleston. And uh, it's just kind of crazy. Everything, just, you know, did I do that? Nope. Everybody else felt it. Good. I'm not going crazy. But the thing is, is that when you lived in Philadelphia and the earthquakes came, you had these huge, beautiful buildings that would fall on top of you if you didn't get out of town. So they would run, and they would go as fast as they can and get out of town. And then when it was safe, they would come back and rebuild. And you saw that picture I showed you earlier, right? When we showed you Philadelphia, the ruins of Philadelphia. What was left standing? The pillars. The pillars. Now, when I say the pillars, that's not southern for those things you put your head on. I'm talking about those pillars, those supports And the thing is about pillars, if you go back to the location of that church, you will see them here today. And so what do we get out of that? The world's going to shake us all around, but true believers who are faithful will stand like pillars. That's what Jesus is saying here. And the pillars, what are the pillars supported by? The foundation. Jesus Christ is our foundation. We stand on Jesus Christ. We support. We are His pillars. And then we hold up the roof or the church. So it's Jesus, grounded in Jesus, held up by God's people to be the church. That is the picture that He's giving us here. And Jesus promises that He's going to make it safe. And that we won't have to run away 
anymore. Then he says, God's name is written on true believers. You can go back and look at those pillars and other pillars of other uh, places of worship and you and, and government places. And what they would do, they would write the names of famous scholars or famous priests or famous people that taught in those places. And so they would actually inscribe the names on the pillars. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are my pillar and my name is on your heart. That's pretty impressive for someone who was a true believer. God's name is written on true believers. And archaeology proves that people would inscribe their names on those pillars. God says, you are my pillar and I'm going to write my name on you. And everyone will know who owns you. And everyone will know who honors you. And he will write our new name on us in our new heaven, in a new earth. Again, we see a future reward for our decision to be obedient in the present. So as we wrap this up this morning, everybody wants to be the church at Philadelphia. Of all seven churches that were written to, they got an A on their report card. They said, look, you're doing the best you can, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to supplement, and I'm going to do everything again. But the truth of the matter is, we're not all Philadelphia. I'm not all Philadelphia. There are days when I feel like I'm Philadelphia, but then there are days where I feel like I'm Smyrna or Ephesus or some of these others we've been talking about. But the thing is, is that you and I must ask ourselves, if we are true believers, he gives us three things in this passage to measure that by. Not our Facebook account, not how many friends we have, not what our favorite news program says, but what the Bible says. Am I a true believer? One, are you telling others about Jesus? If you love Jesus, you will tell people about him. Number two, am I relying on God? And number three, am I faithful to Jesus? You see, someone that doesn't know Jesus Someone that could be in a pew just like you today that has been in a church ever since they were born. They could have been born in a church. But there are people that are in pews today that will bust hell wide open because they have a religious tradition of going to church. But Jesus has never come to their life because they don't tell anybody about Jesus. They don't rely on God. They rely on their experiences and they are faithful to themselves. Are you a true believer? These are three guideposts, three pillars, three check marks that we all have to work on in our life. And we, you may not have all three of them today. I may not have all three of them today. But that is the benchmark of what Jesus says a true believer is. So now we know, right? It gives us something to shoot for. And then finally in verse 13 it says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. My friend, as we go into the Lord's Supper today, I encourage you to do the best you can to pray, to be honest with God and ask Him, am I a true believer? Am I doing these things? And if you have questions, comments, or if you say, I'm going to get you preacher after church, I'm going to tell you where you're wrong, that's fine too. We can look at the scripture and see what it says. But the bottom line is, this is not meant to beat people up. He was encouraging the church in Philadelphia. So I want to encourage you. Do the best you can with what God has given you and watch him take over. But if there is something hindering that, then today is the day to confess and repent and to get back on track. With him.